Welcome to Real Estate Real Relationships. I'm your host, Nora Lynch-Smith. I believe in building relationships in our real estate careers that expand our connections to make us better realtors and even better humans. I've been a practicing realtor for over 20 years, from agent to broker owner, and now including instructor and coach. I'll be sharing real talks with practitioners in the industry, from the boots on the ground agents to leaders in coaching, speaking, and education. Learn their best practices and what makes them win the relationship game of their lives. Get ready to be inspired and take action. Let's get started. Hello, I am so excited to be here with Claudette Anderson from Raleigh, North Carolina, and she is the broker owner of eRealty. And wow, we're going to learn a lot of truth here. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your company, but also your other spiritual coaching? And I'm really excited to be here with you today. And thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, so eRealty is a little boutique firm in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I have been in business on my own since 2001. I think it was just a week or two before September 11th when we broke away from Remax, the Remax franchise, and we went into business for ourselves. And my former husband and I used to do it together, and I've carried the torch on. But I started real estate in 1995. So it has been a long journey, but a really good one because I've made so many friends, so many contacts, helped so many people. And I'll tell you, you mentioned my spiritual practice. Nothing will trigger you like real estate, will it? Like, seriously, you know, I tell everyone you're going to make it the first year or not based on whether you take things personally, based on whether you understand that failure is a teacher for you to rise, right? So I remember getting into real estate and it was before I began to do the truth method, which I developed in 2000. And for the first five years of real estate, I can't tell you, it was if I didn't get a client, if a client didn't agree to work with me, I would feel bad about it for two weeks. You know, things like that. Like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Why did they say no to me? And then I began to seek the truth on that, improve my services, start to hone in and have certain niches that I specialized in and really got good at it, you know? And so real estate was the biggest catalyst in my life to rise above and to operate within the truth within my soul. It was a beautiful thing. Yeah. That's fabulous. When did you switch from becoming an agent to a broker? It was also in 2001 in the state of North Carolina, you know, they had different licensing like a lot of states do. And we are one of the strictest states in licensing. We kind of lead the standard and they were switching how you were licensed from a real estate salesperson to a broker. And I remember the broker owner of the Remax I was a part of at that time came in and said, you really need to just take this test. And I'm a quick study. I bought the book. I literally read it in three days and took the test and passed it. I mean, and it was this sick, but I'm just, (laughs) just, I was like, I don't want to take the extra. I think at that time it was going to go from just being able to sit for the test to having to take an extra 30 hours. Now it's an extra 90 or something like it's, 
very extensive now, but back then I was like, no, I need to take this now. So that's what I did. So you um, then became, were you the broker owner of a franchise model? No, actually I was just a broker, had my own team and had the chance to purchase a couple of different franchise models. But in the languaging, I decided not to do that because I specialize in lead generation. And so any lead generation system I created, I didn't want someone else to have that ownership. Does that make sense? Yes. And so I wanted to have the full ownership. And now I create leads and refer leads out. I do deals that are listed on MLS, deals that are not. I actually even do investment deals across the whole U.S. So it really just depends on what the situation is. So I do it all. And I do apartment buildings too. Great. And so I had another question for you. How long or how large is your team? Has it always been the same amount of people? Has it, you know, I've had a larger team. I now have a smaller team. I've had some people step away. A lot of times my team, once they get trained, they'll start their own company. (laughs) Have you ever had that happen? (laughs) Yes. And so when that happened the last time, I switched my model. I have a small team of six people right now, and it's working really well for me. And because I'm specializing in leveraging, I'm specializing in how I can create the lead and and someone else can pick that ball up and run with it. Or, you know, I can choose whom I want to work with or not. I do enjoy working with a few clients. And then the way I spread them and diverse them out to the team, you know, we're just having fun. I mean, that's the thing. We're just having fun. So most of my team members have been with me for years. They were either clients or referrals of clients and they're like family. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's great. And how long have you been? Has it always been in the Raleigh area of North Carolina? And how has your journey been to landing where you are now? It has been in Raleigh because what happened was I actually was born in Colorado. Okay. And then I've lived in multiple different places. I've lived in Texas. I've briefly lived on assignment in New York and California and different places. And then I moved to North Carolina as a young girl. And so North Carolina has been home longer than anything else. Mm -hmm. Even though there have been times where I would move away, I would come back. And I ended up going to school in North Carolina at North Carolina State University. And so when I discovered Raleigh, I was just like, you know, I really like Raleigh. I really like it. And my background before I got into real estate was I was in negotiations on the negotiations team for GE Financial, and we studied risk with mortgage trends in portfolios. So I studied the risk of being in the Raleigh market before I got into the Raleigh market. And I went, this is one of the best areas to be. They really don't take a huge hit anytime the market takes a crash. I think the last crash in the top areas in here, we we took a 3% hit. In surrounding areas, the towns around Raleigh, we took up to 15, 20% hits. But, you know, as you're in the middle of the city, it was less of an impact. And as you spread out, it, it became more and more with the decrease in value during the last crash. Although the last crash, I tripled my business. So we can specialize in a lot of things, estates, foreclosures, short sales. 
So I partnered with an attorney and created a whole short sell business for the last time that the market crashed. And we were able to help many homeowners save their homes. But because we did that act of service, we started getting such a high level of referrals and recommendations that our business just really increased. And I'm also an investor. So if we couldn't help them save their home, we strategically got them out in the best way possible for their situation. So it, we're ready for whatever market comes. Does that make sense? Totally. And of course, uh, today is the 1st of May. Yes. And we are hopefully soon, fingers crossed, coming out of this a little bit. We're what, six, seven weeks into the coronavirus, right? Just to keep things calm. Yes. Yes. Just open up in North Carolina or kind of like they lifted it from the state level, but it's well, actually from the the county level, but it's still at a state level. So it's it's limited, but it's been opened up just a little bit. But real estate is considered an essential service. So I've you know, I have this couple that I've been working with and they have access to medical stuff. And so the last time I showed them, they gave me a beautiful box of purple gloves. <laughs> well, we need those masks and purple gloves. Yeah, I know. My mom is uh, a decorator and an avid sewer. So she's on in one of the uh, sewing kind of networking t- for the healthcare workers, right? So she yes. just sent me a picture actually just today of a new twelve mask that I'm going to be able to wear that she got me. So That's beautiful. Yes. Yes. And so I had another client send me, They asked me, they said, we know you're going to have to be using your mask and using everything. Do you need mask? And I said, actually, I do. And so another client sent mask because he's an investor I've worked with and he does medical supplies, you know. So I was just like so happy and blessed that I got that and people were taking care of me. I was appreciative of that. Yes. And doesn't that talk about how we're in this real estate relationships, right? It's all relational building and working with people that not only do they know, like, and trust us, but we know, like, and trust them too. Yes. Yes. And I was even, I'm working with a client right now that I met him when I was pregnant with my daughter 21 and a half, 22 years ago. And I tell a story with him where it was toward the end of my pregnancy and he was looking for his first home and I trained him well. Every house we went into, he said, the bathroom's there, Claudette. Because <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> yep, I know how it is. Matter of fact, my son is about the same age. So I think our kids are the same age, line up a little bit. Yes. And how was it like for you being a full-time, because real estate is really not a nine to five job as we all oh, know. No. 24 oh, seven. No. How did you manage a, Childcare. I mean, granted, that it, mine is twenty-two, but and I have an eighteen-year-old. But it just—I personally had an au pair for a long time, and that really worked for our family situation. Yes, I didn't. Maybe I should have, because the real estate business was what was supporting my family, and my former husband was working in the real estate business on the marketing side. Okay, and so we were both there. We. For the first three years of her life, he stayed at home more with her. And then I worked from home. And, you know, I had an office at Remax, but I was working from home. I was doing virtual before most other people did. 
And, you know, I'm just going to get real. Is that okay? Let's just get real. It's all about the truth, right? (laughs) It's it's all about the truth. So I was breastfeeding and I would be driving down the road, pumping at stoplights, putting it in a cooler in the back. I remember, you know, having my daughter on a Monday and going to a closing on a Friday. Mm -hmm. And, you know, literally just a few days after giving birth and then within a couple of weeks, taking another listing and she was strapped to me, you know, in this little strap things. And my daughter actually got really good at being quiet at closings. I would have a, a new coloring book. She got a new coloring book every time and she got a new little pack of crayons every time. And she would sit at the end of the table And she would walk in at two years old and say, hello, and sit at the end of the table, color, not interrupt anyone. Everybody thought she was the rock star. They did not know that I had bribed her because we always went and got this ice cream and went to the park and just had this amazing time after the closing. (laughs) I was like, if you just sit here and color and then drop in child care came along. Okay. And so we investigated that place. We became confident in it. She was two and we thought, well, okay, let's drop in. And they had, they didn't have a camera, but you could call in and then they would have her come to the phone and go, Hey, you know? And so when we started going to pick her up, she started going, I don't want to leave. I'm so happy. And so we realized at that point, we need to put her into a preschool daycare. So when she was old enough, you had to be three. It was right before she was three. They let her in. We started the daycare thing. And I still, as a real estate mom, would bring her later. I would bring her around noon because I would see her in the mornings and then I would work till 10 o'clock that night. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't put her to bed, but I would wake up with her and then her dad would put her to bed, you know, and I would be in the office calling clients and, you know, creating connection with new clients and things like that every evening up until 10. So it was, it was very intense at that time, but my team was doing 40 to 60 closings a month at that time. Wow. That's a huge team. That's a a lot. And that was when you were your own company still. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, I, I did scale to a large amount of volume at one point. I do not do that now. (laughs) I leverage (laughs) and refer out and things like that. That was a time when I was really driven and just, you know, we had some pretty big months and years, but it exhausted me. I'm going to be honest. It really did. Yeah, no, I totally can relate. And by the way, I'm still bribing my kids. <laughs> so, yes. did, did your daughter ever get the real estate bug? For example, on my son, he had the poor guy. When he turned 18, it was before his senior year in high school. I said, you're studying for this exam. You're taking the exam. And he did, and he passed it. It was great. Oh, wow. Okay. Still, she just turned 18 in March, right when this whole corona thing like went down in mid-March. But yeah, somehow I just can't get her to, to do it. But I'm getting my my daughter runs from real estate only because keep in mind I I actually had an office up until 2004, and then I just went totally virtual, and so I would work out of my home and I would have team meetings in my home, like every Tuesday morning or every you know whatever day we chose. Everybody would come meet around my breakfast table, around my dining table, and we would just talk. We would role play. We would do whatever. 
And my daughter has had so much real estate, she runs from it. However, she doesn't know this. She might after this uh, podcast. I do want her to start investing. And so I'll probably show her. I do virtual investing also. So I'll probably show her how to do that and then show her how to start building her own portfolio, you know, and I'm getting the bug for apartments, like 60 plus unit apartments. So I'm starting to step into that and get the bug for that. Like I'm really watch out in a year, we're going to be there. So it's just a matter of finding the right ones. Well, actually, um, I know we're on a podcast, but when we're done, I have to talk to you about somebody that just contacted me about apartment investing in North Carolina. So Perfect. There you go. This is perfect. Relationship building. Is this not glorious? And this was just two days ago. Somebody that I met through a mastermind that we share. And he hasn't been part of that mastermind in over a year, but I've always kept in touch with him. And so it's really kind of funny. That is funny. So there we go. Yeah, I can analyze them. My background is finance. So yes, we can do it all. (laughs) Capital GE Finance, of course. So I am like, now I really want, this is fascinating because when I met you, I met you not through really real estate seminars, like that, but through Fire Sisters Weekend and through a mastermind that we are in with Michelle Sorrell. And oh my gosh, I was so blown away by your energy and, as you say, the truth method, right? So yes. can we talk about that for a little bit? And how, Absolutely. You know, I have a new podcast that's come out too. And it's I do. The first one I listened to, it was phenomenal. Thank so, you. Really authentic and what a journey you've had. Oh, yes. It's been a journey, but the truth method came along because, and I'm not going back and all that, but from a traumatic childhood into trying to help youth, you know, into trying to make a difference in other kids' lives, into working also with, you know, I had a group of women I was working with. There were a number of things into trying to improve my marriage and be the best version of myself. I began to ask the question, why do I have these thoughts in my head? You know, I started on the journey of self-help, Wayne Dyer, You know, I studied different religions. I was in a church at the time as a youth pastor. Like I had all of this information in front of me and I could not stop the thoughts in my head from continuing to go on. Even though I was reading information, I even went through a technique. Have you heard of the technique where they put the rubber band on you? And every time you think about thought, you snap it. Exactly. Okay, I snapped the wrap out of my I was like this is abuse <laughs> like it just started welting up I was like because I did it so much and I was like why do I have these thoughts and so I began to research what is behind a thought okay and I discovered that it's what we believe because a thought just comes from what we believe in our soul and I discovered a technique for you know, just reaching in within. And it's like a deeper way of praying for lack of a better term, right? And you just kind of, you reach within and then accessing the truth within. And I discovered a version of it with the help of this really kind lady, but she only worked with me for a short amount of time, a few months. And then she said that I was too traumatized for her. Like she literally fired me, you know, and I was like, no, don't let me go. But, but I had begun to access the truth. 
I had begun to do it myself. And as I was walking, I hugged her. She told me she loved me. She just didn't know what to do for me. I walked out of the office. I was crying. And then the truth just dropped into me. You know, it's like that intuition, that guidance, that knowing. And what I got was now I'm going to show you how to do this more efficiently. And you're going to help thousands upon thousands set their soul free with the truth. And I was like, game on, right? But I needed it first. So that's where I went through a version of what I now call the truth method. And what it is, is when you have that thought that keeps showing up and it doesn't support you, right? Then you go, wait a minute, what do I believe that allows that thought? Or what is the truth about that thought? Because that thought could be a belief. So for instance, the feeling of, I don't deserve anything good. That was one of mine. I think a lot of people feel that, but I don't deserve that anyway. It's okay. Nothing good will ever happen to me anyway. And then I started going, well, what's the truth about that? What is the truth? And then the truth would rise in me, that intuition, that guidance. And it turned into a system to where now the intuition and guidance is on a conscious level. So it's an ongoing thing with me now. And I have that guidance when I need it versus when I'm sitting in the bathroom and my mind has zoned out, right? Because usually our intuition drops in when our mind is zoned out. But now I can access this knowing, this birthright in connection to the eternal truth when I need it. And I even used it, even before I knew what I was doing, In 1994, I had stage four cancer. And, you know, I now can look back and go, well, it was accessing the truth that actually healed me. Because what did I believe that allowed the cancer? And someone might go, what do you mean? What do you believe that allows? Well, it's putting yourself in the position of your true power. Because as spirit, whatever I experience here, I've actually allowed and a lot of people may go, I don't, I don't know if I want to take responsibility for where I'm at or what I've allowed. But on the other side of that is, well, if you do, and if you understand that you are responsible, then you can actually change it and you can create the life that you want for yourself, right? Right. Well, it just brings me back to success principle number one with Jack Canfield's, you know, take 100% responsibility for where you want where you are in your life right now. It's amazing. Yes. Yes. But I also let myself off the hook. Okay. Because we will beat ourselves up. I mean, we're worse than any enemy, Mm -hmm. right? We're just hard on ourselves. We'll beat ourselves up. We'll be mad at ourselves, especially for nice people. And we don't want to beat someone else up. right? (laughs) So, you know, so then we turn on ourselves. But the thing about that is it's taught me to have so much grace for myself because I understand that I'm in what I call the programming. So it's almost like there's certain programs encoded into our soul. And have you ever noticed how easy it is to go negative? How easy it is to have fear? How Mm -hmm. easy is it to beat yourself up? And then when you start on the journey to grow, it feels a lot harder in there's resistance that comes up and then you might run away from it for a minute. I've had people meet me and run from me because I do the truth method (laughs) and they're like, ah, bye, (laughs) you know? And then a year later they go, 
I just didn't want to talk about the truth. I didn't want to face it, but now I'm ready. You know, I've had people do that too. So they won't sign up with me a year ago, but they'll sign up with me now because they're ready to go on that journey. And then when they start to go on the journey, they go, this is a lot easier than I thought. And I'm like, yeah. So tell me about that journey as far as your coaching program. So right before we got on, you were saying you were just finishing up, I think, what, your 12th week? So how does that Yes. Yes. Tomorrow, I have a 12-week truth inner circle. And if you're ready to take your life back, if you're ready to understand emotions and how they work and understand, you know, we talk about judgment. Have you ever walked past someone and you haven't thought about them? I think we all have. Mm-hmm. But you know, if it's not a good thought, do you understand the energy of judgment? So the program goes deeply into the energy of everything. And everything that I share is scientifically backed. So it's a deeply spiritual and practical at the same time. And so we go step by step into how you can start accessing the truth on your own and practicing because it's actually your birthright. It's your birthright to access this guidance. We just forgot about it. And we just don't know how. It's your birthright to actually be able to remove fear. And people will say, well, you're always going to have fear. That's actually not true if you know how to remove it. But how do you remove it? Well, you get rid of the belief that allows it. Remember, I come from the position of what do I believe that is allowing this? So every experience in my life, I'm like, huh, that wasn't comfortable. What do I believe that's allowing it, right? I like, I don't know if I want to manifest that again. So it's coming from a place of power versus a place of being helpless. Well, it's funny because I just remember just this past week, uh, here's something. Fear stands for fantasized experiences appearing real. How do you like that? that? It's so true. It's so true. But, you know, fear has an interesting energy around it. Remember, everything is energy. Every thought that we have is a brainwave, right? In quantum physics, we can observe molecules and the fact that we're just looking at them, they change. That's Mm -hmm. how powerful our thoughts are. And so when we start to really grasp that, and I'm not even sure I, I have fully grasped it. I am on that journey even now to understanding that Really, it's all about what I believe. And so if I have a technique and a method, which is the truth method, that's the one I offer on how to get to that root belief, then I can access eternal truth, my soul's free, and now the belief is gone. So with fear, I can remove its energy from my presence because when you're frozen in fear, think about how you can't think straight and Mm -hmm. you feel a loss of, it's almost like a transfer of energy immediately. And so, no, we freeze it, we remove it from our presence. It's just using our imagination, shifting it to the side. And then what do I believe that's allowing the fear? You know, what do I believe and what's the truth? And once we get the truth to where we can remove it, we burn it. <laughs> I burn everything in what I call source fire. <laughs> that's <laughs> wonderful. I'm just like, I'm like, I studied this because I studied multiple religions and I found some common themes. So one of them is the truth sets you free. Mm-hmm. And then there is an energy that's considered a purification. You know, you've, you've talked about it in 
every religion, but in Christianity, it's like a fire, a heavenly purification. In Buddhism, it's like they call, I forget the term they call it, but it's a purification. In Hinduism, there's a purification. And so to me, the the kindest thing I could do to any energy is to send it through what I call source fire to be purified and healed. It's the kindest thing we could ever do, right? So even fear, it can go through source fire and I don't have to judge it. I can just remove it because what fear does is it takes me out of my love, my power, and my clarity. And it's my birthright to be in love, power, and clarity. It's my birthright to not have confusion. It's my birthright to access this inward guidance so I'll know what my next step needs to be in business, in my relationships, in my life, in creating my life. So that guidance is for everything. I use this in real estate. Like, it's really interesting. I use it with clients and they'll say something and I'll go, huh, I wonder if that's really true. And that's all I have to do. And then we might go to another home and then they'll get out of the car and go, you know, I was thinking you asked if that were true and it actually isn't. Bravo. (laughs) And so I'm like, well, there you go. So because I don't want my clients basing a decision on something that's false. Let's base our decision by having all of the information in front of us. And then we can make an informed decision based on the facts, right? Well, and not a fear-based decision, right? Right. Get rid of the fear. Get rid of it. And I've even had a client, I go, oh, no big deal. Let's do an imagination. Close your eyes. Imagine fear right here where we're standing, send it to the corner, freeze it. And she was like, I actually don't. I'm not afraid anymore. And I was like, well, in the space of not being afraid, what is your heart telling you? Is this your home or not? And it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And I was like, better to know now than to get into the deal halfway through regretting or buy a house that you don't want to live in. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So she received that guidance. She knew immediately, no, not my house. And then when we got to her house, she knew what to do. She froze the fear. And <laughs> she's like, this is my home. I'm getting a yes. I feel so good. You know, and she goes, I'm not afraid. Yeah, I've been uh, multiple times. Exactly. And even people that have, exactly, that they've been in a deal, then they backed out of a deal. And then when they saw that house, I'll never forget She just got on her knees and said, this is it. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, from our perspective, we want people to be where they are. I want their heart full when they pull up. I want them feeling like it's their haven. It's their place. It's where their life can play out because it's the memories that add up to what our life is, you know, and I want them to be in that space and it has to be the right space for them. That's always been my intention. So I've used this to help guide them to seek their own answer and not not be in fear. So and they don't even know what's happening. They don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> so. That's great. Well, if I were to um, head down to Raleigh and yes. buy, for example, let's just see, like for example, around here we say Colonial is a four bedroom, two and a half bath Colonial, or maybe you know three thousand square feet. What would be the typical price point? you know, in a neighborhood, maybe convenient, you know, commuting location? It depends on location. Okay. That, you know, it does. <laughs> so, you know, we have certain areas where our price per square footage is more that tends to be downtown Raleigh, 
Our downtown has been revitalized. It is active. It is thriving. It's probably where I'm going to move next. I like to travel too. You know this about me. But I was thinking it would be really cool to have a condo downtown, maybe a two bedroom, something like that. A little more modern look, full windows, that whole thing. Mm -hmm. So if I'm looking at that, you know, I'm currently looking at two bedroom. It's going to run about 500, 600,000. But that's in downtown. So if I want to go to, you know, schools are important too. So based on where everybody looks at the schools and where schools are ranked a little higher, prices tend to be stronger. It's a more desirable area. It's all supply and demand. You could be somewhere between 450 and 850. Mm -hmm. Like it really depends on what you want. We do go upwards into the million, million and a half, but not as often The downtown area does have more properties like that. And then we have certain sections in the northern part that do. And then we have our wonderful first-time buyers that tend to be around, you know, 325 to 425 or 280. It's not that we don't have properties that are lower, but we just have more that are in those ranges that are available. So I, you know, I have a really cute couple right now, the one that gave me my gloves and I just had run out of my last glove and they gave me this huge box and they're purple, one of my favorite colors. <laughs> and, you know, they're looking in the 425 range, but I will tell you this, it, there's always going to be competition, even during this virus. We submitted an offer. We lost it because the other party came in much higher. We came in higher you know, but they came in a lot higher. And so I just find that interesting. So a lot of people have been asking what's going to happen to your market. Well, I think it's based on the pricing, the price sector, you know, our higher end market will slow down, but up to 425 houses that are in great shape, they're going to go just like that. Mm -hmm. Now it's an interesting time. I just wonder, I've had over this weekend, a couple of offers get accepted that I think in a quote-unquote normal market, those houses probably wouldn't have gone under agreement. And a couple of them were non-MLS. And it was pretty interesting to see that happen. And yes. uh, you know, we'll see. We shall see. It's all very you know, supply and demand because a lot of people are not going yes. to the market at this point. So there's less of a supply. So there you go. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and I think, you know, I've got another client where they're higher end, but they were like, we're going to wait till this passes, you know, Mm -hmm. not that they have any concern about their jobs or anything, but they want more variety, you know, so they're just like, let's just wait till everything opens back up and then we'll get serious about looking at that point. So I can see them starting to look into May, June, you know, so it just really depends. But I feel like in any market that is growing, which the Raleigh area is, so if it's growing and you have really good mix of industry, right? I feel like, you know, what price point moves the most? And I think that's going to stay strong because I think what the U.S. is experiencing in growing areas is a lack of inventory, right? Mm -hmm. Affordable inventory. seems like you know, used to our price point was 180. Can you believe it? And, you know, 180. And then I remember it being 280. And now it's 325, 350 up to 425. You know, so it keeps climbing. 
And of course, that's over 20 years, but still, there's not that much inventory on the market that is in good shape. Mm -hmm. And I would say for anyone listing their home, please, it's worth painting. Oh, yes. It's because you can tell all the homes that are listed for a hundred and something days. I'm like, I could so go into their house in two weeks, have it looking totally different and it would sell so fast, yes. you know, and they're losing money, not doing that work. As they say, ain't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, well, yes. If people so, contact you, because I would imagine your coaching and the truth method, if I'm getting that correct, yes, um, is great for business and also yes. for personal coaching. So I would imagine you have a good blend of people in there. Yes, I do. Information, of course, the editors will put everything on the show notes, and so everything will be on there. But Perfect. You can find me and connect with me on my website at claudaanderson.com by just submitting information. It notifies my team. You also can Facebook message me. I have a group called Let's Get Truth, and any messaging to the group we can respond to, or my personal Claudia Anderson. I do have two different courses and I'm creating a third. So you mentioned business. So I find that very interesting. So I'm doing a 12-week self-study in the truth method. So if you like doing things on your own, I have a recorded video. I have content and it goes through a 12-week process of practicing and learning to distinguish between your mind and the eternal truth. I call the mind a chihuahua. It's oh, like a little great. chihuahua running around. How are you only bringing up the chihuahua now at the end? <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. I say it's a chihuahua humping your leg because it never stops. <laughs> so, And so there's a self-study and then I'm just opening up in May the next Truth Inner Circle for 12 weeks. And I'm also developing a program around money and using the truth method to remove limiting beliefs around money and how to manifest and create wealth. So I'm developing that program and going to have that featured on several business, different business venues, you know, things like that. But money, I would just say, it's really funny that we can manifest a parking spot, right? Who's done that? Like, I'm going to have a front parking spot and I'm going to do this. And it's so easy. Why is it harder to manifest money? And so we go through that. We go through all the concepts of that and how to remove the limiting beliefs of that in the program. And by the end of the program, you have a full manifestation and, you know, we make it happen. (laughs) We just, and it's how you can step into because money has a different energy around it. It amplifies everything. So have you noticed that if someone is selfish and they get money, they're even more selfish? Exactly. If someone is giving and they get money, they're even more giving. If someone has fear and they get money, now they're afraid they're going to lose money, right? So because of that amplifying energy, we have to understand what to do with it and how to remove limitations around it to be able to step into the manifestation of it. So that's what this course will be about. Yeah. So I'm developing that right now. That is so exciting, Claudette. And thank you so much for joining us here in real estate, real relationships, keeping it real. Yes. And I think it's fabulous. And I'm 
so that you joined us. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. And I hope everyone has a beautiful day, including you. Thank you for what you're doing. (laughs) Talk to you soon, Claudette. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Real Estate Relationships Podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe and review the show. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, you can reach me directly at realestaterelationships.com. That's real, R-E-A-L for relationships, or at noralynchsmith.com. Thanks so much for listening.